Is lacrosse having a moment? Let's find out and find out why. I'm Britt, he's Chase, and this is A Furious Curious. So, Chase, good to have yes. you back. The Sage of Danville, the Freeze. Chase Demerg, everybody. Does it say that on my Zoom still? The Freeze? <laughs> it used to say that. <laughs> it used to say it, and it's, it has stuck with me ever since. But it's good to have you back in the jet seat, the cockpit, sir, flying over curious topics. Yep, curious yeah. land that we live in. So today we are talking about lacrosse, the sport, not the city. It's great Wisconsin city, by the way, if you've never been. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, but um, <laughs> first, first, very important question uh, before we get into the more serious uh, attributions of the sport and its history, its rich history. What is your lacrosse alter ego name? I like the name Wheaton. Call Wheaton. me Wheaton. That- that's pretty good. I like that. Now I, I had one in mind, but it's mine needs to be better than that now. Better than what I have in my head. Preston. What about Preston? That's good. That's that great. Good? Okay. Yeah. Uh, what we're Something getting at proper. is so. Um, before we get into it, what are we what are we talking about? We are talking about lacrosse. Lacrosse. If, if in case people don't know. It's a team sport played with a lacrosse stick and a lacrosse ball. It's one of the oldest organized sports in North America. Its origins are with the indigenous people of North America. There's been documentation of it as early as the 20th century. I'm sorry, 12th century, rather. So the game has been extensively, we'll be polite and say modified by the European colonists, (laughs) reducing the violence and to create this current kind of collegiate and collegiate and professional form that we have come to know. So, yeah, I mean, if, if people don't really know about lacrosse, they should just watch some highlights. It's interesting. Well, I was going to say one, uh, um, little bit of context that I recently learned about its origins is that it was, it was like kind of a way for native tribes to train warriors. It was like sort of a, a yeah. proxy for war. So that's right. kind of what brought it about in the first place, which I think is pretty interesting. Obviously, it was probably very different from its current rendition, but must have been a great inspiration. A couple hundred could play it, a couple, you know, some up to a thousand could play it at the same time in the, in the traditional form. But, you know, I think it's, it's worth spending a, a, some time respecting its, its genesis um, and uh, respecting the Native American culture that created this. And actually what what they say is it's it's considered what they call the creator's game and what i've in my research hearing those familiar with it this was kind of equal sport equal spirituality and and religion and culture so it was really like it was beyond a sport like you said even it, it was even training and then the uh Dihun Shegoi is actually the way I'm probably not saying that right, but that's the that's the actual Native American way of saying it. Lacrosse was obviously coined by a, a French guy. Uh, I think that's English for the cross. 
I'm just kidding. But, you know, like like a lot of things that become anglicized, you know, like yoga, kind of ripping it from its Hindu traditions. This mm-hmm. is kind of the same thing, right? You had a very interesting, deeply cultural activity that we've kind of taken to become more of a sport, purely a sport, a community around it, sure, but a sport nonetheless. Um, so so that's kind of the, you know, some of the some of the history beyond that. It's a deeply spiritual involvement, benefiting from uh, the spirit of combat, like you said, in which uh, was undertaken. Those who took part uh, did so uh, in the role of warriors. So it is kind of a, quote, warrior sport, um, the goal of bringing glory and honor to themselves and their tribes. So that's kind of the, the brief history. We're, obviously, we're not doing the history justice, but that that's kind of the brief history. And then we talk about the trends, right? So... What I noticed before we get into the numbers, Chase, is um, I've noticed like if I go to like Dick's Sporting Goods, for example, right? Been there. Been there. I see more and more lacrosse sections really? over the years, right? And I also saw, I, I said this before we press record, I did play lacrosse in college. Um, right. It wasn't like super competitive, but it wasn't like a D1 school or anything like that. But I did notice that like, it, it, it raised my awareness of the popularity and that was in like, you know, the early 2000s. So sure. clearly this has Dating been on yourself. a slow, I know, slow trajectory and we'll see how to, why this is kind of coming to a head now. You're the one that pointed this out. Um, but I'll just go through these like trends really quick. These numbers, the interest in popularity of lacrosse has mushroomed over the decades. Like I said, you know, the numbers of schools and the numbers of players and the expanded geography, it's considered now the fastest growing sport today in U.S. high schools and colleges. So, well, I was going to say, if we can go back to that time period, which you actually played and I I was sort of a witness to some friends kind of getting involved. There was, there was a lot, you know, I was, I was probably, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, but so it was probably around the same time or, you know, close range within a couple of years. But I remember when it first came to my town and there was like leagues that people from different high schools in the area were joining and there was a lot of excitement around it. And yeah. I, I don't know. I think I was playing a different sport that conflicted with it. Otherwise, I probably would have gotten involved. Um, but, you know, it was drawn a lot of like soccer players and football players um, right. to, to play. And there was just a lot of palpable excitement to try something new and really get into it. And I'm sure that the skill level of lacrosse players in that early rendition of it was not super high. So. Sure. A lot of, yeah, I, I, I can attest to that. I got my cage rattled <laughs> a few times. It was, it was overly physical. Cause it was like, well, I don't know how to, I don't know how to handle this ball or throw this ball, but I know how to hit people with a stick. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's easy to figure out, right? That's easy um, to I figure mean, out, right? Well, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but like you compare that kind of time period with where we are today, which is uh, you know <clears throat> years later. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to say that out loud. <laughs> it's too many years. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, my nephew who is just under ten is getting into lacrosse, and his coach is like a, a, Merrill, a Maryland legend, like. He mm. was a star at the University of Maryland, which is like one of the premier lacrosse schools. Um, I won't say his name because I don't want uh, people coming at him on social media because I don't know him. So, <laughs> but, you know, 
he uh, he's out here in California teaching lacrosse, and he was like you know an East Coast star uh, of the of the game. That's awesome. So it's clearly like that's interesting because you grew up on the West Coast, so that's interesting that it. It was already starting to kind of show its its leaves, so to speak, even that long ago uh, on the West Coast. Because I I know it it you know it's had a longer tradition on the East Coast. You know, a little bit lesser or long shorter tradition on in the Midwest. But it's it's kind of slowly kind of moving across uh, across the nation. Slow burns always burn brightest, right? I just that's a good that's a good that's a good way to say it. Yeah. So the U.S. U.S. Lacrosse reports that three quarters of a million people play lacrosse in 2017. So that was just a few years ago. Participation in the sport at the high school level has grown 15 percent in 2012 to 2013 among boys uh, in U.S. boarding schools, becoming the most becoming as popular as football and basketball in those schools. I'll just say this too: 2018, another report, 1.1 million boys and girls were playing the game at a youth level and that participation has grown 25 percent since 2012 by comparison our traditional sports football uh, for example and baseball football participation has dropped 16 percent baseball has grown only two percent so uh the ncaa they're paying attention to this too they had another study that they conducted in 2018 they discovered between 2003 and so 2003 is around when I was playing it in 2018 division 1 men's lacrosse grew 61% in participation division 1 women's grew 97% 97% uh so I'm not a numbers guy but that I could tell that's some pretty intrepid growth um so I Question think the for re- you, though. yeah but go, I don't want to I don't want to Stop you in your tracks. What were you going to say? Well, I was, I was going to say, I think what investors, and we'll get to the leagues and all this now, I think what investors are saying is, okay, if you have a pretty robust youth program in schools right now, that will translate to a pretty strong talent pool in 10 years or whenever, right? That's true. And so I think when you hear about investment... And we'll get into the invest the, the big investors, uh, as you talked about, as I noted in here later. We're seeing a wave potentially come, which is why we're kind of we feel like we're maybe at the crest of this. The professional aspect of this is now cresting. You know, you had the collegiate aspect of it, you had the youth program of it, and now that is finally coming into the fold in the professional realm, which is what we'll we'll get into about that. But you were gonna say, Chase. Yeah. Um this is a total sidebar, but what are your thoughts? I mean, you played lacrosse. What are your thoughts on how different the game is for women versus for men? Because it's, it's it's almost a different game, right? Yeah. So I have my personal opinion is there's a little bit. So there is like you know there's um, there's kind of four versions of the sport, right? Uh, they have different sticks. There's um, you know, there's different there's different rules. So there's like field lacrosse, which is like what we kind of hear about, like on grass fields. There's women's lacrosse. There's box lacrosse, which is like you play it basically in indoor hockey rinks. And then there's intercross, mm. which is kind of like an inter uh, intergender way of playing it. I I've always found, and I, I have, my opinion's the same with hockey because I also played hockey. I find like. The women's the so the women's rules and this is pulled right from Wikipedia. This isn't my opinion. The women's rules prohibit some of the physicality of the sport, and that's both in hockey 
and in lacrosse. Women don't, for example, in lacrosse, the women's lacrosse, they don't, all they have to wear is like eye protection. They don't have to wear helmets. They don't have to wear anything, which I find kind of dangerous. But yeah. also at the same, but also at the same time, even, even if there is no contact to it, right? banging knees, banging heads, a ball hitting your chest or your ribs, that hurts. Um, I don't care if you're a man or a woman or, or anything yeah. like that hurts. So I find it a little, I don't know. I find it a little bit like, why can't women, I think the, the physicality part of it, the, for lack of a better word, the violent part of it, I think is part of the game, just like hockey in hockey. Right. It's part of the game. Cross check or checking, not cross checking. You can't cross check checking as they call it in hockey is part of the, is part of the game in my opinion. And I, right. I find when you curtail the rules too much for women, I don't, my personal opinion, I'm not a woman. So I, my opinion really doesn't matter in this because I haven't played women's lacrosse. Sure. I haven't played women's hockey. I find, I don't find that very, I find that a little insulting from, from my vantage point. Yeah. I realize I probably put you on the spot here. So sorry about okay. that, but I, um, you know, I've, I'm a complete and total outsider in this, in this topic, but, uh, I just was, was looking at the, you know, our, our notes and, um, you know, I, I have had conversations about this before. It's like, why are they playing a different game? Like that must, I'm sure that's frustrating. Like, you know, I obviously, I have no input on it, but like, it feels like they might be getting cheated a little bit. And it's like, why, why wouldn't they just, I don't know. Why wouldn't they well, make some of the, like, why are they not wearing any protective gear? You know? Well, I think, I think maybe the, to me, the underlying assumption is that like women can't be as physical in sports. And I just, I just have like a fundamental uh, disagreement sure. with that. Cause if you make that assumption that if you would believe that, then it's okay. Well, therefore they can't, they can't do certain things in, in the game. So I don't want to go down like that rabbit hole and sure. trip wires and triggers, but I find it a little, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know how if that'll evolve. I don't know if that's a cultural thing or whatever, but, um, but anyway, so it's not the only problematic thing with lacrosse. That's for sure. Sure. Right. <laughs> but clearly the participation among young have, have, uh, the young folk have, have increased, um, 32% between 2008 and 2018. It's pretty mm -hmm. big. So in 2020, Nielsen sports say that brands partnering with MM MLL, which then I think merged with PLL, PLL. which we'll talk about, of course, uh, this deep connection to fans through a customer journey. So I find it kind of interesting and we'll only touch on it this business strategy behind PLL, I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. It really is different than what you would traditionally understand sports, professional sports to be. Yeah. Um, I find that really interesting. But yeah, um, exactly. so this study showed that 75% of lacrosse fans have a higher tendency to buy products from MLL sponsors. So anyway, we can, I got so much stats here. I could, I could blow, blow up everybody's brain. I won't do it. We can move on from, Clearly, this is a trend. I don't need to talk more, any more about that. Well, but they, they merged, uh, I think, last year in 2021. The leagues did right. So you were you were saying like the PLL, which is the Premier Lacrosse League, which is new. Um, it's not. It's not the driver. It's 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 the driver, but it's also the outcome of the trend. Right? Is that yeah, a, is that a good way to say it? Yeah. 
I would I would say so. You know, it was started by a couple of brothers, um, and one of them was he's been described as Le, the LeBron James of lacrosse. Uh, Paul Rabel um, mm-hmm. played at Johns Hopkins University, which is another East Coast stalwart in the world of lacrosse in terms of like I don't know how many championships they've won, but I'm sure it's it's up there with uh, the most championship heavy schools um but he, he was a star there and he he played in the mll um and really felt like the league was screwing up a good opportunity and so he he wanted to start his own thing and, and uh, as to what you were saying like his approach was quite a bit different you know starting a league from scratch is crazy it's it's insanely difficult so he I don't know if you want to dip into this at all, but I, I think did. one of the most interesting I, I think one of the most interesting things he did was he just created uh, I think he started out with eight different teams and they had no city. They were just right. They just had no location. They're just they were just a team with it with a with a bunch of players he recruited, a lot of them from the MLL. And I, I thought that was like a super interesting strategy because you can't like maybe one of the pratfalls of them all, I don't know too much about it, but maybe one of them was like paying for facilities and, and traveling and like, you know, had to get people to, to probably pay out of pocket for a lot of that stuff. And mm-hmm. then they'd show up at the stadium and like their locker room was like a, a tent and like, you know, Florida heat, you know, <laughs> like right. just not, not working out too well. And then they did get done with the game and the meal after the game that was provided by the MLO was pizza. So they're just like eating pizza in humidity after sweating all of their uh-huh. water out of their bodies for hours. Like, I don't know. I, I think there was a lack of uh, smart funding there. So I think by, by kind of decentralizing or is it, I don't know if that's the right word, but like, maybe not being so location specific with the teams, he was able to free up a lot of opportunity. And like we could play anywhere we can play. We could play where we can find a stadium where we can find a crowd. And if we don't have to like ship one team to a, a different location, when we could just all show up at the same place. Yeah. It's like a fundamental assumption I had about team sports so that it was based on location. Right. Cause I, when I went to like the premier league lacrosse, the premier lacrosse league website i was like okay the redwoods these guys must be in california wait it doesn't say anything about any place the sure. you know i found that really interesting it's a very interesting strategic decision to not like you said not have them be tied to a specific city or area so so a 14 week tour it's a tour they tour basically Um, Instead of being like home home team, away team, whatever, taking place in 12 major markets, right? So the league was founded by American professional lacrosse player, like you said, Paul Rabel, is that how you say his name? And his brother? Yeah. 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 So like you said, tents, pizza, I think it's, they're up in the ante. They're trying to make this a little bit more buttoned up. There's some big investors coming in now, some big big investors, like big group investment groups, ESPN, yeah. Joe Tsai, which is like a Taiwanese born business magnate. He's, he's all in, which is interesting. So I think hmm. they see this potentially being a big thing. I mean, even their, their viewership has increased already. Ticket revenues increased growth between the last two full seasons has been 56%, which is pretty, pretty incredible. Now, I don't know, it, you know, it, is it ever going to pierce or, or eclipse? I should say, football or basketball maybe maybe not who knows it's interesting you say that because 
this documentary, which we'll get into about the founding of the PLL. Um, yeah, is this fate, fate of Sport? Fate of a Sport? Yeah, 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 Fate of a Sport, which premieres tonight on ESPN, actually, on September 15th, which is when we're recording this. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, there's a little sound bit in there where he, he talked. I mean, this was taken from an interview. I, I'm sure they walked around filming each other for years, but this was taken from like 2019 or so when MLL and PLL were two separate leagues. Mm-hmm. Now they're one. Uh, Paul yeah. Rabel was talking, walking and talking in this documentary style footage. And he said something like, you know, we're not trying to compete against MLL. We're trying to compete against the NBA and MLS. Right. Right. They're trying to be that visible. Yeah. That's, I think what they're seeing back to what I was saying before, is like, football participation so it'll be interesting to see how this works there's like some people love football and have never played it so will football still continue to be a widely viewed sport though actual participation yes has decreased Mm -hmm. espn these other investor groups these other investors clearly see a viewership market for this so 150 million impressions on social media for the first part of the of its season last year. ABC's week two broadcast of the Cannons and the Archers game averaged 452,000 viewers, peaked at 623,000, most watched outdoor lacrosse game on record. So there's growth. There's going to be growth. Maybe it's a moment. Maybe it's... Maybe it's here to stay. We, we will we will let the, the, the universe determine that. But you said something really interesting. Uh, another, you know, we talk about what, what are they strategically doing that's different, right? The league mm-hmm. that is different besides, you know, the location-specific teams, right? Also, their model radically differs from these other sports leagues. So, for example, like you were saying, like, I think it was Paul Robel pointed this out and this is what you're getting at lebron's instagram account for example right Mm -hmm. quote features virtually no clips of him playing basketball those are the Mm -hmm. property of the nba meaning its owners right so by contrast the pll open sources its highlights so using social media content user generated content even allowing players to freely use them to build their own personal brands additionally pll operates a full-time studio that produces other player-centered content that's really interesting it's a very interesting media strategy that's very different from what we have come to be accustomed to yeah so i found that interesting i found you know they're really about trying to make these players their own brands and that they can use their own content basically so yeah that that is interesting because you look at some of the leagues out there right now and the way that they interact with the social media it's a little bit ham-fisted and clumsy sometimes at times i would say actually the nba is one of the leagues that's doing a better job and the nfl kind of posts all their own stuff so they're they're doing a good job and i think baseball is kind of coming around but for a long time you couldn't like post any like baseball replays and and hockey also has a kind of same problem um so it's like you're definitely inhibiting fans from getting to experience their sport even more so the fact that they're kind of embracing social media by allowing players to 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 like kind of use their own highlights or use their own brands is 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 really only going to help them in the long run um whereas some of these longer established leagues are very protective over their brand. And, and it's like, why wouldn't you want more eyeballs on that? I mean, my, my guess is the content value in lacrosse is still 
well below you know the, these other ones so that maybe maybe this is their way to kind of crowdsource through the players you know more content to get out there i don't know it's an interesting calculation and it definitely bucks the trend and just to plug not that we're getting paid for this because we're not the pll championship is this sunday september Ooh. 18th unfortunately by the time we drop this episode it will have <laughs> passed i just realized so but that's in philadelphia so yeah So tell me more about Fate of the Sport. You said you started watching it. Yeah, I did. It's it's um it's an interesting look at how a league is sort of founded. And you know, I I, I think the Rabel brothers are pretty smart guys. I it do <laughs> from like an artistic standpoint, I do feel like there's a lack of polish behind it, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> but um, mm. you see these title cards come up, and they're clearly like the stock. Um, Helvetica font that Final Cut has on it, or whatever they're using to, to edit it. There's like no, there's no touch to it, so that's pretty pretty amusing. Every time I see like a, a title card come up, um, there's between... a beauty to the un, unfurnished, polished, right, 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 yeah. But um, you know, I, I actually heard Paul Rabel on a couple of different podcasts I listened to, um, and so I, I've been kind of generally aware of of him and just the process that this league has been going through. So it's cool to see a documentary around it. And um, I'm eager to like finish it and see how it kind of props up whatever's next for this league. Um, and, and just, just to see what his, maybe get a little taste more of what his vision for it is. Um, right. I didn't, I didn't know for instance, that his brother was involved. Uh, hmm. I learned that from the documentary, like his brother, they're both East coast Ivy league well, Johns Hopkins is not technically an Ivy League school, but his brother went to an Ivy League school. So they're both like, you know, pretty fancy East Coast schools, uh, pretty well-spoken guys. Um, and, you know, they, they appear to be pretty intelligent. So it, it seems like they're trying to do this Sisyphean task of starting a league and actually making some decent headway with it. You said Belichick, Bill Belichick's an investor or something? I don't. I don't know. I know he has a massive amount of interest in the sport. His son played, mm. and he played as well. And I know that he's been in the stands at, at PLL games, and is just anybody who follows the NFL knows that he's recruited, not recruited, but gone after former lacrosse players. There was a guy from Penn State. I can't remember his name. I think his last name was Hogan, who had like a couple breakout games for the Patriots a few years back. I just know that he's had a, a very keen interest in the sport. But I don't know about his investment. I'm, I, I would guess that he is, but I, I don't know for a fact without looking it up. We can't speak for the hoodie, but uh, we're speculating. No. <laughs> right. So, yeah, let's go to uh, let's go to reasons why. So the first one we got here, we kind of touched on, alluded to, is the proliferation of school sports teams and club leagues. So there's a huge pool of youth programs up to collegiate programs that are quite well developed at this point, which is going to create a really robust theoretically a robust talent pool for a for a professional operation second one most people can play the game 
despite what their physical framework happens to be, you could be lanky like me, you could be a big guy playing attack or defense, whatever, doesn't have to be extraordinarily tall or have a large frame to be a competitive player. I will tell you though, it does help. A skinny guy like me gets destroyed. Um, I was a goalie in high school. I was a goalie in hockey. I should have stuck to being a goalie in lacrosse. Fatal, near fatal mistake. So anyway, so anybody can play the game, which is cool. Low, kind of a lower barrier to entry. You know, I think about certain games that require certain sports that require more resources, right? So you've got like basketball, which is very low, not resource intensive at all. It's a, you could, you know, literally a basket and a ball baseball, same Mm -hmm. thing. Hockey gets a little more complicated or a lot more complicated. Lacrosse seems to be kind of in the middle there. And then in terms of the skill sets, pretty easy to pick up and play. There's not a big steep learning curve, so to speak. So then reason three, I'll just keep burning through these and you tell me if you got some thoughts. Uh, Lacrosse is fun to play and watch. So I'm going to quote this uh, Canadian-based North Shore minor lacrosse webpage. Lacrosse is characterized by intense action, strategy, finesse, and power. It is a game with long looping passes and short bullet-like shots to catch a pass over the shoulder while running at full stride to hit the top corner of the net all while in full flight or to stop a shot aimed low through a maze of players requires a range of skills unsurpassed in any sport, maybe potentially hockey, I will add. The nature of the game makes it a great spectator sport. Chase, do you enjoy watching lacrosse? Uh, I don't know. There was some kind of version of an indoor lacrosse league on TV yeah. a bunch of years ago. Bo- box lacrosse, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I caught a couple games, and, and honestly, I, I did. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I must not have liked it enough because I can't remember where I saw it or what it was about, and, or, and I didn't watch it much more than a handful of times. But I thought, oh, this could be cool. I found it hard oh. to watch the ball sometimes yeah see the ball dude it reminds me of when hockey in the in the 90s when they were trying to make hockey like more popular they had a period of time where they put a glow around the puck do you remember this yeah yes i actually liked that (laughs) i liked it too and i played hockey it drove my father nuts well i think and i'm not from a cold weather state um so correct me if i'm wrong here but uh, a friend of mine who was said, you know, I went to a kind of a minor league hockey game with him and he instructed me, you know, like, you watch the players, you don't watch the puck. So we were at the game where it's easier to see the puck, uh, easier to see what's going on. He's yeah. like, watch the players. And I'm like, you need to have been around hockey or played it to really understand that just right off sure. the bat. <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah, that, that I, I could see that. That's a good point. And that is true. Watching hockey live is like the best live sport to watch. I mean, basketball yeah, is pretty fun. great too. Basketball is sure. pretty great. But seeing live hockey, there's just nothing to me. There's just nothing like it, especially like a high stakes game where the beefs, you know, all the suppressed rage from the entire season really starts to show its flowers. Those are the great games. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I think I think there is maybe a reason three A here that you know cross is fun to play and 3A. watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, at least from what I garnered from this documentary so far, is a lot of the players who really fall in love with the game and get into it, they 
find an even deeper appreciation for the history of the game. Um, and Paul yeah. Rabel discusses that a bit. Um, you know, and he he thinks like the you know he. You know, obviously, there's an appropriation conversation around this game, which uh, I, I would kind of re- reference earlier when I talked about this not being the only problematic thing in the sport. But I think the the players who get into it and play for a number of years have a real deep appreciation for its history, and they really try to kind of I don't want to say play for the right reasons, but like honor the the lineage of the sport and and the, and, and what they do and how they carry themselves. So I think that is also part of a reason, you know, it's got a history, it's got a really rich history behind it. Yeah. It, I think somewhere in my research, I was reading that's like, it's a lifestyle to put a, maybe a fluffy word around it. There was something I was reading about where um, a Native American guy, I forget his name. I was watching some YouTube videos and he was being interviewed about it. He, he played lacrosse and he, he still makes like the old school, like wood lacrosse sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said, you know, lacrosse is a healing sport. Mm-hmm. They view it as like a it, it's a it's a healing process. It's also a wounding process, probably too. But it's a spiritually <laughs> healing process, uh, which I found really interesting. Yeah. So number four, lacrosse players are now TV stars. So college and professional teams. Uh, those are being televised, exposing people to exposing the sport to young people and their parents. Number five, lacrosse is safer than most contact sports. I think this is a driver for a lot of people in terms of the youth programs. I think there's a people are questioning, you know, I think with everything coming out about brain injuries and although yeah. I will say, I, I think I probably got a concussion playing <laughs> lacrosse. Yeah. It's not, it's It's not unphysical, right. But it's safer than most contact sports. So this fact appeals a lot to parents and kids, and especially with the the heightened consciousness now of of brain injuries and football, particularly the statistics on injuries, just for example, from the, from Canadian hospital, the Canadian hospital injury reporting and prevention program, which is shorthand for CHIRP. I guess uh, estimates lacrosse nice. players have. <laughs> you see that uh, estimates uh, players have about two thirds of the injuries of soccer players, half the number of hockey players, uh, and about one tenth, one tenth, the injuries of football players and rugby players. Wow! So I I could see how this is kind of a really nice alternative to football. It's still physical. It's yeah. not as it's not as um it's easier to play than hockey in terms of just the facilities and the equipment required. I also mean like an ice skating rink, for example. So I could see that appeal. And maybe that contributes to this groundswell of uh, programs, youth programs, up to the collegiate program. It's interesting. I, I, you know, I broke my arm playing football in high school. And at the hospital, it was just having a chat with a doctor somewhere along the way. And they told me that the worst injuries they see were from soccer players. And a big part of the reason is because they're not wearing any protective gear. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just running around on field. They still run into each other, not as often as they do in football. But that's you know, without any kind of protective gear, uh, it's much easier to break break your body. I guess you're not immune to head injuries in lacrosse by any means, but just by fact, like the game isn't centered around you bashing heads against people on each and every play. That's, that's a good like, start. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good start, right? So that, that'll that'll decrease the uh, uh, overall concussion count significantly. Yeah, and they definitely wear pads. At least the um, 
Well, the, at least the guys do. The, the fact that women don't is, yeah, is I think crazy. some are doing that now, but like, cause I definitely saw some in my research, some women leagues do wear helmets. Nothing's worse than clunking your head with another yeah. skull or Ugh. bashing your kneecaps with other kneecaps. Those are, those aren't mm. fun. So yeah. you're hurt. You're hurting me by saying these words. <laughs> uh, reason at number six, there are an abundant opportunities to play the game. So not, not only, um, it's regular high school or college varsity sports, but there's a, a bloom of, uh, after school, summer and club competitions as well. So that kind of, kind of umbrellaed around, yeah, youth. I would just I would call youth programs. Um, so sure. there's there's that too. There's a lot of opportunity. Seven lacrosse is spreading out from its traditional graphical roots. We talked about this. It is moving west. It's moving west from the east coast. It started in Canada on the east eastern Canada. It moved down to the east coast. It really took root in the east coast, and now it's moving west. As we see, um, as you saw, as you experienced, even even um, in high school. Yeah, and uh, last couple of reasons I'll I'll, I'll cover. Um, yeah, there's admiration of a certain very successful NFL coach that I, I mentioned earlier that we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think he's honestly played no small. I think he's played a little uh, not so insignificant part in this rise in popularity and just that he's a lover of the sport and he's just the fact that the the number one sport in America, the NFL, is kind of got in the habit of using lacrosse players. It's, Bill Belichick's not the only one. There was the guy on the Detroit Lions <coughs> who was on a Hard Knocks episode getting cut. Um, Tim Kennedy, he probably got picked up by another team. Tim or Tom Kennedy, I can't remember. But just the fact that those players are out there and getting into the NFL, um, that's that's kind of interesting. And, and I think it only helps to raise the, the perception of lacrosse. But also reason number nine, I don't know how to phrase this, but it's not because of COVID. You know, (laughs) there's no COVID has nothing to do with the popularity of lacrosse. Yes. Finally, we have a reason why that is not because of COVID. (laughs) Right. Everything's because of COVID. Um, Totally. A A lot of stuff is, but not lacrosse. But not lacrosse, baby. Not lacrosse. So just to recap the reasons why we think it's really popping right now. The proliferation of school sports teams and club leagues. It's easy to, uh, most young people can play the game. Lacrosse is fun to watch and fun to play. Lacrosse players are now TV stars and social media stars. Lacrosse is safer than most contact sports. There's an abundance of opportunities to play the game. It's spreading westward and we're getting a lot of admiration uh, admiration from NFL coaches, and they're actually tapping some of that talent uh, for their own sports as well. And those are the reasons why we think lacrosse is having a moment or is here to stay. We're not sure. We'll let the universe decide that. Moving on. One thing I ran into that I'll hit really quick. What are the benefits? If you're a parent, some of our some of our folks who listen to this show are parents with young kids. Based on the demographics that we have, based on our metrics, we understand that our listenership 
Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm a parent. Hey, boom, right here. So many athletes uh, do better academically uh, than some of the other athlete counterparts. I thought I found that interesting. Playing a sport requires a lot of time and energy. While some people think this would distract student athletes from schoolwork, the opposite is true. Sports require memorization, repetition, and learning. Skill sets are directly relevant to classwork. Also, the determination and goal-setting skills of a sport require to be transferred to the classroom. I don't know what makes that specifically lacrosse, but I will take it in stride there's there's probably a myriad of reasons that are uh, there's probably other factors i think it's they do better academically i think unpacking that as you kind of started to unpack i think there's probably things that maybe don't have anything to do with the sport perhaps i don't know number two the benefits uh teaches teamwork problem solving skills i think any sport especially team sports can do that obviously there's physical benefits of sports we all know that including your favorite curling um, which is why you really couldn't do lacrosse. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Those seasons overlap. Busy. Yeah. Busy times. Um, sports boost self-esteem, at least most of the time. <laughs> Daddy, I feel like crap. No, I've been there. Or advice on self-esteem uh, a couple times, but. <laughs> yeah. And then it uh, reduces pressure and stressful sports. So extra exercising is a natural way to loosen up and let go of stress. I'm going to disagree with the majority of this of these reasons um so this is this was actually the um <laughs> this was actually um it's a bait the, switch yeah ethlo group was they're the ones that released this and um i understand i, I think a lot of these like sports in general but like i don't see them being sp- lacrosse specific um sure. so to speak so i do think sports for me in high school and a little bit in college offered me a structure offered structure mm-hmm. that the stakes were too high for me to like go party and stuff like that i, I was looking sure. i was thinking about high school like you know i played i played on the varsity i got really lucky and it was circumstantial but i was i was a varsity starting player as a freshman which is kind of like weird to think about for hockey that wasn't necessarily normal so i kind of was like okay well i've got to get up 5 30 be at the gym by like 6 15 i've got class and then i've got practice and then i gotta do homework and then i gotta go to bed if you partied on the weekends you forfeited and if you got in trouble like yeah. i had the stakes were too high for me so not only did it keep me out of trouble like it made me realize that i really sometimes i do need structure even now I need structure. Uh, and when I don't have structure, things get a little loose and funky. Yeah. So I could see the benefit, obviously the benefit of having sports as a youth. So, you know, I think you've got a built in social calendar with any kind of sport you're playing. You've got a, like a set of oh, yeah. friends, like you're all kind of doing the same thing. Um, you know, I think that actually is, you hear from a lot of like, football retirees they just they just like miss being around the guys in the locker room um right it's almost you know it's not so much the sport as it is like the camaraderie a lot of times so totally growing up you've got you know you're you're doing something that's keeping you relatively safe uh you're not out on the streets like looking for trouble and uh you're around a bunch of people are doing the same thing and so it's like you have this built-in friend group you're just hanging out with your friends every time you practice, you know? Getting whipped by wet towels in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So I'm excited to see this documentary now. You've wetened my whistle about it. And I want to I want to see this Fate of the Sport launching today on ESPN. Uh, this is not an endorsement. We did not get paid for that, but we are going to watch it. But Fate of the we'd, Sport. We'd take, we'd take some payment, though. We'll take cash. We are here to play and get paid, baby. Heck yeah. Um, you are listening to the Furious Curious Podcast, hosted and produced by me, Britton Rice. And my good guy here, Chase Domerg, along with Jody Duncan, Nicole Lazar, and Ben Santoriello. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at the underscore furious underscore curious and subscribe to the Furious Curious Podcast on your favorite platform. We welcome all the comments, all the trolling, and the constructive feedback, of course. Until next time, stay curious. Late. Late. Late.